<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, friends and neighbors. On this Friday morning, February 5, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Roundtable. And what a week it's been. No insurrection, no impeachment, no inauguration, but still a hell of a lot of important stuff going on. Early this morning, 5.30 a.m., by a 51 to 50 vote with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie, the Senate passed a budget resolution paving the way for President Biden's proposed $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. So will Republicans and Democrats agree on a plan or will Democrats go it alone? Meanwhile, House Republicans chose not to crack down on QAnon believer freshman Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. So Democrats did it anyway, with the help of 11 Republicans bouncing her off of two House committees. And Donald Trump refused to testify in his impeachment trial scheduled to get underway next Tuesday, February 9. So what's this all mean for the politics of today and tomorrow? Well, for insights based on their reporting, we turn to uh, three of Washington's top political reporters today. Alex Seitzwald, national political reporter for NBC and MSNBC. Hi, Alex. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. Pema Levy, national political reporter for Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. Hey, Bill. And Scott Wong, senior congressional reporter for The Hill. Hello, Scott. Hey, Bill, how you doing? All right, so Scott, let's start with you. You know, uh, from uh, our house on Capitol Hill, uh, we can see the Capitol Dome. And when I went to bed last night, I could see that the light was on, <laughs> uh, meaning the Senate was debating, and they debated and debated until 5.30 this morning when they passed this budget resolution, thanks to Kamala Harris's breaking the tie. So what, what does this do? What does this mean, Scott? Well, what this does is it provides, it paves a path for Democrats now to uh, pass their coronavirus legislation, Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion plan, uh, without any help from Democrats. It allows them to bypass the 60-vote filibuster and uh, pass it with only Democratic votes. That's important because of, as we know, the breakdown of the House and the Senate, the House majority, the Democrats control, uh, it's only by a handful of votes. And in the Senate, there's a 50-50 tie. And so Kamala Harris was needed to break this tie last night with with the budget vote. And so now it it actually, because they changed uh, and made some tweaks and passed some amendments, to the budget, it now gets ba- bounced back to the House today, where Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi hope to bring it to the floor at some point. Maybe it's going to be late tonight and uh, pass this amended budget. A couple of things that actually got added on to this budget: uh, there, there are some tweaks with um, perhaps lowering the income requirements 
that people would be eligible to receive these stimulus checks. Joe Biden wants uh, an additional fourteen hundred dollars in mm-hmm. uh, in stimulus checks for most Americans. So they want to lower that threshold. There seemed to be quite a bit of bipartisan support for that, uh, and as well as a, a, a bill f- that would help restaurant. Uh, and food workers, $120 billion is a proposal that's been floating around from Kirsten Cinema from Arizona. And so these are some ideas that probably, because they enjoy bipartisan support, probably will make it into the final bill. Yeah. And Pema, there has been an awful lot of talk about um, coming together, unity on the part of President Biden and on the part of some Republicans. And yet, at this point, I believe, uh, while the president has proposed 1.9 trillion, the Republicans are up up with 618 billion. I mean, less than a third of what he wants. So, like, are they really serious about working together? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good question, honestly, because you know, it, it doesn't seem like you know. So you sort of make your opening offer, right? And you sort of assume you're going to negotiate up, maybe, you know, right? You, yeah. So you, you come out strong saying only $6 because we really don't want to spend anything. Or sorry, $600 billion, so we don't want to spend anything. Uh, and then maybe, you know, you assume in a normal, you know, b- bargaining process, okay, maybe we'll, we'll end up meeting you halfway, right? Maybe we'll, we'll get up to a trillion or, or something like that. Um, I haven't seen any indication that they actually want to do that, <laughs> um, to be honest with you there. And and the thing is, you need all 10 of these Republicans not to, uh, you know, not to leave the table uh, because then the filibuster will, will come into play. And so I think it's it's really smart of, of Democrats to just go ahead um, with this reconciliation process, which with this budget process so that they can uh, pass something robust. Joe Biden has has still said that he's willing to work with Republicans on some pieces of this and cut down on the price tag. And I think Democrats are, too. Uh, Scott talked about you know, maybe targeting the uh, stimulus checks um, more so that, uh, you know, people in the higher higher brackets receiving those maybe don't get them anymore, uh, maybe phase them out at lower income levels. Um, and that would be one way to lower the, the price tag. Um, but but the Democrats are not saying we're not going to, like, sort of be involved in this process where we're going to be dependent on, you know, all 10 of these Republicans to stick with this process right now. And I think Honestly, history bears that that's a smart decision, right? I mean, we all remember well, that we sat around waiting for Obamacare to pass for a year while we, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Democrats tried to get um, Republicans on board and then ultimately had to go with the reconciliation process. So uh, I, I think they're learning from, from mistakes and, and learning from history here. And, um, you know, it, it, Republicans, honestly, I think on some level, they, if they really were 10 of them were really open to uh, negotiating. They, they probably ran a little bit out of time and, and their um, opening bid was a little bit too too low to show enough seriousness. So, Alex, if you look at where the president and Chuck Schumer stand today, uh, they've got the votes, right? They've got the process now with this budget resolution passed. So they've got the green light to do it by reconciliation. Um, Quinnipiac, Polls showed, what was it, yesterday, that like over two-thirds of the American people support the whole enchilada, $1.9 trillion. So why won't, why shouldn't Democrats just, you know, push it through as fast as they can? I, well, I think that's kind of where they uh, decided to end up, Bill. And, and the fact that Joe Manchin uh, kind of gave him a green light on this earlier this week, 
is a big step forward because you know yeah. they need every single member of the their caucus uh, to get to the fifty to get Kamala Harris to be the tiebreaker. Uh, and you know it's interesting. I think a lot of people on the left during the presidential primary were concerned that Joe Biden, precisely because he was Barack Obama's VP during that time that Pema was talking about. Uh, they were concerned that he would do the same thing of of trying to you know bend over backwards to win over Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski, uh, mm-hmm. and then end up wasting a lot of time watering down the bill and not actually getting a Republican vote. But it actually looks like he learned the opposite lesson, and a, a lot of the the people in the White House around him, senior roles like Ron Klain and. Uh, Jake Sullivan and and a lot of these senior people, they were all veterans of the Obama White House. They were there in 2009. And it seems like they came in from day one thinking, you know, we're not going to waste any time. We're just going to press ahead with this. We'll try to to do 60 votes, but we're not going to uh, do the whole strum and drag and 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 drag it out as long as they they can and and as you said it's this is popular the, they so they they feel like they have the wind at their back uh, the whole concern in two thousand nine deficits debt were a very salient issue that's what the Tea Party kind of organized itself around that's just gone now after Trump he just neutralized that issue on the right uh, it, it's not really much of a thing so I think they're they're surveying this landscape they're seeing that the, the checks are incredibly popular they're seeing that spending money is incredibly popular they're seeing that the deficit is not really uh, a, a political penalty and they're saying you know we 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 needed to look, we need to make enough of a pass so that it looked like we tried to win over Republicans. We feel like we've done that. Let's just barge ahead and get this done. Because this was always supposed to be the first round of uh, response to COVID for the Biden administration. And they have still have a lot more they want to do after this. So they just want to get it done in the banks, uh, in the in the uh, bank mm-hmm. and get the checks out the door. Yeah. Um, I heard yesterday from the White House, they said, so they expect to get this uh, bill, the stimulus bill through in early March. Uh, again, Scott, they've got the green light, they got the budget resolution, they got the votes. Why wait until early March? What do you hear? I don't know. I don't know why they should wait to early March. I mean, number one, there is an impeachment trial next week, and that's going to drag things on a bit longer than many people would, many Democrats would want. Um, but it seems like, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's unclear why it would why it would drag on that long. I, I know that it, it's the number one priority at the White House right now. It's the number one priority at Capitol Hill, aside from this impeachment trial. And so, uh, you know, I think it, it could be earlier. It's possible it will be earlier. Yeah. Uh, let me stick with you, Scott, because I want to shift now to uh, the other big uh, battle of the week over um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, I don't know why we don't call her MTG. It would be a lot easier, you know. But um, I've been calling her MTG. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Good. And I, because Scott, I think you broke this story actually in the Hill uh, about um, what was going on in the House. So um, Kevin McCarthy ends up saying, "Okay, I'm not going to punish her, but I'm not going to bounce um, Liz Cheney from her um, position of leadership uh, either." Uh, how's it look? Did McCarthy play this right, or did he, um, you know, walk away from uh, a chance to show some leadership and move the party in a different direction? Well, I think it's still to be determined when it comes to Kevin McCarthy. Um, what we can say right now is that he's managed to unify the Republicans during, you know, one of the opening weeks of this Congress, but. 
at what cost? Um, you know, so so by standing by Cheney, he doesn't alienate, um, you know, the more establishment wing of the party and the, the centrists and the moderates who he'll need uh, down the line. <clears throat> and by not bumping Marjorie Taylor Greene or MTG out of her two committee spots over her controversies and, and endorsements of conspiracy theories, um, he doesn't alienate the MAGA wing, uh, the, the pro-Trump wing that he will need to uh, turn out his base in the upcoming election next year, and uh, doesn't alienate the, pre- the former president of the United States, who he was just down in Mar-a-Lago Mar- with last week, talking about ways that the former president can help the Republicans win back the House in the midterms. And so while there is peace uh, among the warring factions for now, um, it's still a long two years until the uh, till the November 2022 midterms, and a lot can happen. And by not sort of ripping the Band-Aid off and, and taking on, uh, you know, MTG this week, uh, it may create a problem for Kevin McCarthy down the road. Well, and it's hard to think or to believe that MTG, as we're now calling her, um, will go away or will really change her tune. She did give this speech on the floor yesterday, forced to give a speech, forced to somewhat back down on some of the things she said without an apology. Uh, So, Pema, here is a little clip. Let's listen carefully from uh, the congresswoman on the floor uh, yesterday. School shootings are absolutely real. And every child that is lost, those families mourn it. I also want to tell you 9-11 absolutely happened. I remember that day crying all day long watching it on the news. And it's a tragedy for anyone to say it didn't happen. And so that I definitely want to tell you, I do not believe that it's fake. Uh, this is rather a low bar, Pema, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, she admits that September 11 happened, so we're supposed to applaud? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Right. It, it's just such a bizarre spectacle to be witnessing. It's as, as if she said, you know, no, the earth isn't flat, right? Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's an incredibly low bar. And 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 by the way, I mean, it's not... It's stating that you believe that things happened is not an apology. Um, you know, it's not saying I, I was, you know, I was duped into this by like the toxic culture. I don't know. However, you would construct that apology and 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 really, you know, own it. Uh, she didn't do that. And at the same time that she's, you know, on the floor, you know, trying to keep her committee seats, she's sending out fundraising emails, you know, saying like you know, the squad is still evil. We have to like, you know, attack the squad and they're targeting me. And, you know, so it, there's, there's really no contrition here <laughs> um, th- that I see, but, but it, it truly was, um, it truly was, was a, a, a bizarre moment um, to, to uh, witness. Uh, Alex, talk about the politics of this. I mean, is McCarthy reading it right? Here's, here's, here's uh, Kevin McCarthy yesterday when he was asked, you know, I, by the way, I just I, I thought it was funny when Speaker Pelosi referred to him as Kevin McCarthy, parentheses, Q California. Right. So <laughs> this is now the QAnon party. And he attempted he attempted 
tried to make us believe yesterday he doesn't even know what QAnon is. Here he is. Here exactly what she told all of us, denouncing QAnon. I don't know if I say it right. I don't even know what it is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He doesn't know what it is. Uh, back in February, he seemed to know what it is. Again, Kevin McCarthy. There is no place for QAnon in the Republican Party. I do not support it. So is he reading the politics of this right? Uh, I, I think he is in a no-win situation here, and I'm having flashbacks to Donald Trump's entry in the 2016 Republican primary, where the rest of the party was just kind of hoping he would go away by some mysterious external force, uh, or he would just flame out, and of course he didn't. And it's on one hand, you know, if you ignore him, he only grows in power or, or if we're talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, she only grows in power because she's got a big social media following. She gets a lot of attention. She puts out those fundraisers. But if you go after her, then you give her a ton of attention and you make her a martyr, which is also exactly uh, what she wants. And that's what happened with Trump in the in the 2016 primary. So it, the, I think the, the, the ship might have sailed on this one for Republicans a while ago when they just, you know, incrementally uh, turned the party over to Trump. And then this is the, the kind of natural consequence of it now inside uh, their ranks. But they are missing, you know, the, the longer they let this go, the even harder it will be to turn the, the ship around. Uh, because, like Pema said, this was that was not an apology, really, from her. It, it, again, from Trump, it reminded me, uh, right before the, the general election in 2016, when under enormous pressure from Republicans, he finally disavowed birtherism stuff. But it was like a 40-second nothing statement where just like Marjorie Taylor Greene said, I, I believe 9-11 yeah. happened. He said, yeah, I believe Barack Obama was born in the United States and moved on. And that was it. And I called a bunch of birthers and no one believed him. They all thought, you know, they said, we know what it looks like when he says something that he means. And this is, he didn't mean this. And that's, the, I think, what her base is going to see from her response here. Um, so for Democrats, they are proceeding with trying to paint the Republican Party now as the party of QAnon, they, the party that's afraid of its own base, afraid of its shadow, uh, won't stand up to, to these conspiracy theorists. And, um, you know, McCarthy is making their job easier by pretending he's never heard of this thing that he clearly yeah. has. And uh, it, it's not a very believable denial from him. So, so Scott, I know you cover the House, but uh, in the Congress, there, there's a People are referring to it as a civil war. I think that's a little old, going too far. But there's certainly a difference of opinion between Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, um, who's been surprisingly outspoken lately on uh, Donald Trump and on Marjorie Taylor Greene and indirectly on Kevin McCarthy. Absolutely, Bill. And the divide between Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy could not be starker on this particular point. Um, we broke the story at the Hill about Mitch McConnell uh, plunging into the issue of Marjorie Taylor Greene, putting out that statement, uh, sending it to us first, saying that, um, you know, he called her conspiracy theories loony lies and a cancer on the Republican Party and the country. Usually Mitch McConnell doesn't wade into House issues like that. Uh, in, in particular, taking on a, a freshman member of Congress. Um, but that was quite quite a statement from uh, Mitch McConnell. And so you're seeing this difference between McConnell. He, he wants to, uh, you know, turn the page on Donald Trump, turn the page on Marjorie Taylor Greene, distance the Republican Party from uh, those elements uh, of the party. And 
Kevin McCarthy, because of largely the way that the dynamics are in the Senate and the House, Kevin McCarthy feels like he needs some of those elements more. I mean, when you think about um, senators, they do tend to be uh, a little bit more moderate in in their views, in in part because they have to represent the entire state, not just uh, a, a deep red uh, Trump district. Whereas in the House, a lot of these districts are gerrymandered, are are extremely red, extremely pro-Trump, and so you have more of those. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, type of congressman uh, representing those districts that Kevin McCarthy has to deal with, and and it's reflected in this, uh, in the different ways that Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are handling this situation. And it gets to the question, Pema, of whither goeth the Republican Party? Right now, let's again back to the Senate. Ben Sass, Nebraska, um, is uh, up for censure by the Nebraska Republican Party. Uh, and he put out a statement this week uh, to Republicans in Nebraska saying, hey, you know, let's think about what we want this party to be. Here's con- uh, Senator Sass. Personality cults aren't conservative. Conspiracy theories aren't conservative. Lying that an election has been stolen, it's not conservative. Acting like politics is a religion, it isn't conservative. Politics isn't about the weird worship of one dude. The party could purge Trump skeptics, but I'd like to convince you that not only is that civic cancer for the nation, it's just terrible for our party. We're going to have to choose between conservatism and madness, between just trolling versus actually persuading the rising generation of Americans. A strong voice, but not necessarily majority voice among Republicans today, Pema. Yeah, you know, I think... It's it's a good speech. Um, I, I think that that the party honestly has kind of already chosen which way it's going to go, and it's it's going to be a cult about one dude. Uh, <laughs> in, in Ben Sass's words, I mean, we had a vote. Oh gosh, was it like two weeks ago now? A week ago, um, in which forty five Republicans said that uh, you they you couldn't impeach. They couldn't vote you know, to convict Donald Trump because the impeachment trial was um, unconstitutional because he was no longer in, in office, um, you know. And and that means only five Republicans in the Senate uh, were actually willing to say <laughs> no. Let's hear, let's hear the evidence, at least. Right, right, right exactly. And, 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 you know, let's be, be open to the majority view of, um, you know, constitutional scholars that you can 100% <laughs> um, hold a trial for someone who is no longer an impeachment trial for someone who's no longer in office. Um, it's not really a, a controversial uh, opinion in, in terms of how we understand the constitution to, to work. So, you know, I, you know, yeah, I think, you know, Mitch McConnell has sometimes flirted with um, moving away from Trump. He said at one point that he would even think about convicting him in the Senate before then deciding that the, the trial shouldn't be held at all. Uh, and, you know, yeah, he condemned Marjorie Taylor Greene, but, you know, ultimately I think probably that has to do a lot with, you know, fundraising and, um, you know, not wanting to see, you know, more donors back away after, you know, the riots and everything else that, that's mm-hmm. going on here. Um, but I just, yes. I just don't see the, the civil war that we're talking about. Um, that doesn't mean I think everyone wants it to be a party of Trump. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think that some people really do believe you're, you know, agree with Ben with Ben Sass there and what he was saying, but they're not bold enough to say it. 
Um, yeah. And ultimately, that's that's what matters, right? Is is whether or not you're it, you're willing to act on it. And I I don't think that they are. Is there a Republican Party left, Alex? Uh, I mean, there is a party, um, but it's the parties in general have declined in power. Uh, I, you know, there's always these theories about the, the DNC rigging stuff or, or when Trump was running the Republican Party rigging stuff. And the, the truth is that those, those central parties are just not what they used to be. Uh, the media, the, the, cons- the conservative ideological media is running the show. Uh, I think it was Eric Cantor who recently said that he, you know, people used to joke that Fox News was a, a state media apparatus of the Republican Party. And then they realized, no, actually, it's the other way around. The Republican Party is an apparatus of Fox News. Uh, and now Fox News is even squishy, not really mm-hmm. conservative enough uh, on the other side. I mean, the, and I think both of those examples, the Ben Sass and Mitch McConnell, th- these are people who have either uh, decided or, or have the power and interest to be able to speak their mind on this. I mean, Mitch McConnell, 78 years old, he was just reelected to a six-year term. He's the majority leader. He, you know, is fine. He's set for for the rest of his life. He can speak out. Ben Sass has decided that this is going to be his future. There's a million or a lot of other Republicans who will quietly say this kind of stuff, but won't say it out loud because they have to face a Republican primary. They have to face re-election, and they need that committed uh, MAGA base, and they're not willing to stand up to to their voters. I mean, that's the, unfortunately that's what's driving this is it's the voters who are uh, leading the leaders, and they are not mm-hmm. willing to, as Eric Cantor said, tell truth to to the power, which in a democracy is your own base. Okay, today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod with uh, Alex Eiswald and Pamela Levy and Scott Wong. This is a little different for today's break. Normally, we talk to you uh, and say thank you to one of the sponsors of the Bill Press Pod. Uh, Today, we want to ask your help in sponsoring uh, a cause that we feel very strongly about. It's a new organization uh, put together by residents of Capitol Hill. It's called Don't Fence the Hill. And what it's all about is taking down that fence that now surrounds not just the Capitol, but the Library of Congress and the Senate office buildings and the House office buildings, which the Capitol Police want to keep up forever, this big fence with razor barbed wire on top of it, all because Donald Trump unleashed a mob on the Capitol on January 6th, and all because the Capitol Police were not prepared and did not do their job in seeking reinforcements ahead of Capitol of January 6th. And now they say they want to keep the fence up forever, and this organization, Don't Fence the Hill, says, no way. This is our shrine of democracy. Uh, This is the people's house. The Capitol should remain accessible to Uh, All Americans across the country who come here to see the Capitol and to enjoy the beautiful Capitol grounds designed by Frederick Law Olmsted. Uh, So there's a website up we want to direct you to and ask for your support. The website is called don'tfencethecapital.com. Don'tfencethecapital.com. There's a petition there you can sign and lots of other uh, ways that you can get involved to free the United States Capitol. Again, the website, don'tfencethecapital.com. And there'll be a link to that website on the episode notes of today's podcast. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So before we get back into the issues of the day, uh, so what about that, Scott Wong? You work at the Hill. You're there every day. What's this fence mean? The pain in the well, ass, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it's tough. As you know, Bill, and I used to live on the hill as well, right next to the Capitol. It's it's tough to get around. I mean, you, you, you know, you turn down a street and you're blocked by uh, armed uh, National Guardsmen. Uh, there's a lot more Capitol Police presence. Uh, you know, it's an eyesore, you know, quite frankly. I, I understand the temporary need for it, but... The Capitol Hill community clearly wants uh, the fence to be removed. You know, there probably are other uh, measures that can be put into place that could provide uh, better protection. That's under review on multiple levels. There are short-term reviews happening uh, led by uh, former General Russell Honore uh, at the appointment of Nancy Pelosi. He's doing an immediate security review. Um, there are longer-term reviews. There probably will be some kind of 9-11-style commission looking at uh, the breakdowns in security and security and what exactly happened in the days and weeks leading up to uh, January 6th. But, you know, the bottom line is everyone, it seems, had a heads up that something bad was going to happen. And I've talked to Frederica Wilson uh, from Florida. She said she was on the phone with Maxine Waters and, and the Capitol Police in the week before the attack saying 
something bad is going to happen and the vice president's life is at risk. And there are, there are documented phone calls of, of this happening. Uh, the FBI clearly was aware that something bad was going to happen. Capitol Police put out a, a report three days before the attack saying uh, that, that they would need some kind of reinforcements. And so th this was a, a complete breakdown. And now we're, we're seeing a lot of finger pointing uh, on all sides. Pema or uh, Alex, any comment on uh, taking that on the fence? It's totally crazy that that Washington is sitting around being like, I wonder if we should just move on from this attack and pretend that, that everything is normal and we can just, you know, move on. And, and you're literally still surrounded by this, this fence, right? You've still got this amped up security. You're still not you're still not literally safe there. Um, or it seems like you're not sure that you're safe there. Um, you know, you have to do this entire review. And it's just, to me, it's just such a stark reminder that like, you can't just pretend this didn't happen or pretend, oh, well, we, we've healed, it's over, let's come together. Well, when there's just this physical reminder every day um, of the fact that that the Trump presidency literally put lawmakers' lives in, in jeopardy and, and still does. And, and Alex, I think you could go to almost any world capital uh, outside of Washington, D.C. today, right? And and get pretty close to the seat of government, right? I mean, the people, the people who live there and the people who visit there, uh, not in Washington, D.C. anymore. Um, yeah, I, I uh, travel seems like such a, a distant memory. That's I, true, yeah. <laughs> I, right. I, 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 I can't recall, you know, exactly on other foreign capitals, but it is too, I mean, one of the great things um, about the Capitol is, or, or has been in the past until very recently, that you know, pretty much anyone you can come in, you can go to your members of Congress's office. Yeah. Um, often they will, if you show up, especially if you call ahead, you can get an appointment to see them or see see a staff member, uh, and it's a great thing. It's the it's the House of Representatives. These are the people who represent you. They're supposed to be closest to you, um, and for reporters, it's just incredible. And anytime you know a, a college journalist or uh, somebody aspiring to get into to journalism reaches out to me and I talk to them, I always say, cover Congress at least for a little bit if you can, even if it's only, you know, a couple of days here and there, if you don't get assignment, because the ability to just walk up to a U.S. Senator or a member of Congress and ask them pretty much anything you want in the hallway is incredible. And that's great. That's good for democracy. That's how uh, the, the, the free press should exist. Uh, so it is really unfortunate and sad that we are at this point. Um, and it does seem like the, there were other issues here. I, I think it was a, a personnel issue, not a physical uh, security issue. Um, uh, one maybe silver potential silver lining here. There was a lot of concern when they did something like this around the White House, uh, and I think you know the the, the kind of consensus is now what they've done. It's it's an, it's fairly nice. It's a pedestrian mall in front of uh, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. Avenue. So you know maybe maybe it, there's a way to do it better. But I. Yeah. I it's it's too bad that we're even at this point. Uh, uh, I would just have to back up. There used to be a pedestrian mall uh, in front Correct. of the White House, but Correct. now now the same fence that's up around the Capitol is still up around Lafayette Park and around, uh, um, and the police want to leave that up too. Um, I hope they take that one down uh, as well. Anyway, let's get back to what's happening um, next in the uh, on the Hill, which is a trial supposed to start scheduled to start on Tuesday. Um, and the president was invited to, former president, invited to testify in his defense yesterday. He immediately turned that down. 
Um, so what do you think, Scott? Is there any doubt the way this trial is going to turn out? No, I don't think so. I think everyone knows how the trial is going to turn out. Uh, the president is going to be acquitted uh, because only five Republican senators say that this trial is even constitutional. They need 17 senators, at least 17, if all Democrats join in to convict the president. So if you do the math, it, it's simply not going to work out. Now, Democrats say that doesn't mean we shouldn't still have the trial. They, they think the president committed uh, a, a heinous act and an impeachable offense. Jamie Raskin, the lead impeachment manager, just yesterday issued uh, a, a letter to the president himself asking him to testify under oath, saying that if you um, feel like you didn't uh, commit any crimes, then then let's let's uh, question you under oath about that because I I, I disagree with that. And so um, he issued a letter. The president's attorneys quickly responded, say, "No, he's not coming. This is a publicity stunt on your part." Um, and so we we likely will will not. It's it's pretty amazing actually. We have not heard or seen from the president in in quite some time, which is a little bit shocking given the last four years. But um, it, it doesn't look like uh, this is headed towards towards a, a conviction. And uh, Pelosi's argument, she would say, is let's think about this in the bigger picture and in the longer term, that um, she knows that impeached presidents have not fared well in, in the history books. And she points out Trump is twice impeached. He has that distinction. And the speaker says the Congress needs to go on record for posterity and record what they uh, what they think about this president. So I think that's Pelosi's thinking. That's the Democrats thinking, even if it will end in acquittal. Well, Pema, whatever happens, this is the moment if Republicans, again, were ever going to break with Donald Trump. This is the last opportunity they've got, isn't it? Yeah, I basically think that it is. Uh, I, th I think that, that that's a good way of looking at it here. And, and I, I, I've heard people say this, so I, I don't want to claim, you know, originality credits here. But it's really the kind of moment where I think, you know, they all have to hold hands and, and jump together or, or it won't really happen. Right. You know, maybe Mitt Romney, maybe Ben Sass, um, possibly a couple others. Uh, but. But for the party to really, you know, take a, a, a break from Donald Trump and, and, and to be able to, to disqualify him from, from running for office again and therefore, you know, keep him from having um, this gravitational pull over the Republican Party, um, they really have to go, go big here. And this is really their opportunity to, to unshackle themselves in that way. Um, at this point, it doesn't look like they're able to take it. Um, and, and it's really interesting because on some level, you know, it would hurt them with their voters, but it would also, I think, really free the party in ways that would ultimately be good for the Republican Party uh, and and I think good for the country. Uh, right. But I don't think I don't think we're going to see that. And, you know, once you've sort of passed this this goalpost um, and said that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take action when, you know, you incite a violent insurrection on the Capitol. Uh you know, I'm not sure where you turn back after that. Uh, and Alex, again, looking politically for Democrats, is the best uh, procedure um, just to do this fast and get it behind them and then move on? You know, I actually think they want to keep this in the bloodstream 
uh, as long as possible. I mean, really? yeah. from, from a governance point of view, from, from, you know, they now control everything. So they, they need the floor time back to actually pass stuff. But in the, on the politics, you know, the, the big picture here is that the first midterm for every president uh, since the 30s, with, with very few exceptions, is, is very bad for the party in power. And Democrats are defending a very narrow majority in the House and, you know, basically not a majority in the Senate. So barring some big uh, external thing coming in, they are expected to, to lose potentially both chambers. What mm -hmm. they're trying to do is keep up the uh, intensity of the Trump years without Trump around, because they did best when they could run against Trump without him being on the ballot in the in the 2018 midterms and the Georgia runoffs. So uh, they want to keep that wedge between the GOP and the suburban voters that abandoned them and reminding people about Trump, reminding people about the January 6th event, reminding people about QAnon, which is why the DCCC is now running these, these ads so early. Uh, they see that right now is a way to keep the GOP brand as, as toxic as possible for those suburban voters. Uh, and they're going to continue that right through uh, 2022, is what you're telling us. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But yes, that's the idea. I think they would much rather ran on Donald Trump than Joe Biden in 2022, just given uh, the way, you know, Amer Americans like to put a check on power. Uh, they like to to have divided government. So I think they would much rather be talking about Donald Trump in October, November 2022 than, than Joe Biden in a lot of ways. Well, it has certainly been a news-filled week. Uh, thanks for your insights and uh, ideas about uh, what it all what it all means to uh, Scott Wong and Alex Seitzwald and Pamela Levy. But before we let you go, um, there's always some story in the week for all of us who are uh, who this is our business of covering the news that makes us even us uh, jaded journalists stop and say, "Whoa, how about that?" Uh, this is funny, or this is serious, or this is something we ought to be thinking about. We call it your favorite story of the week. Um, Pema, start us off. What caught your eye? Yeah, so I enjoyed a story this week by Mo Tachik in a Slate. Um, it's called The Lousy Tippers of the Trump Administration. <laughs> and it is um, a, a woman who's a server at an upscale restaurant in D.C., and talking about, you know, first of all, how it was really lean years. You know, the Obama and his, his family, they would, you know, frequent restaurants in, in D.C. and shine a spotlight on them. And, and their, um, you know, the people in their yeah. administration would, would, would frequent them. And then, you know, with Trump, he really only, I think he really honestly ever went to his own hotel. And, you know, people had to sort of show loyalty to him. So they pretty much went to his hotel. And then, you know, a few of them went out to these other restaurants. But um, despite having, I think, the wealthiest cabinet in, um, in, in history, I think he, they ended up not being very good tippers. So it's a, a kind of interesting uh, tongue-in-cheek story about the experience of, of being a, a server um, here in, in the Trump years. And I was reading it, and I was trying to figure out which restaurant she worked at. And it's an upscale <laughs> seafood restaurant. And I'm just not a big seafood person, and so I, I has escaped me thus far. But um, I don't know. Maybe uh, someone else knows the answer. But, but you're on the trail. You'll, yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll, no, no, no. Uh, lesson learned, right? Be a generous tipper, particularly if you have any public profile at all. Uh, Alex, what caught your attention? Uh, this is a story in the San Francisco Chronicle by Amanda Bartlett, and I just absolutely love this. It's delicious. Uh, an artist in San Francisco 
created a fake website and tweeted out um, oh, a, a thread yes. that went viral about offering people blue check marks to put on the outside of their homes, these kind of decorative Victorian <laughs> blue check marks, so that you can be a verified uh, influencer. You, know, you can show the world that you are a real public figure who lives in this house. And it was a completely satirical joke to, to kind of poke fun at you know this influencer clout culture. Um, but the uh, unfortunately predictable and uh, gross twist is that hundreds of people replied to her earnestly uh, wanting to get this blue check mark put on the outside <laughs> of their homes, which she was uh, surprised and disappointed to discover. Only in San Francisco, as they say, right? It's they, perfect. Right. Yes. <laughs> Where they also wanted to take the name of Abraham Lincoln off of a school, or maybe they already have. I'm not sure, but I um, uh, still love that city. Scott Wong, how about you, Scott? Your favorite Sure, story? Bill. Um, you know, as, as somebody who was there in the Capitol on January 6th, I was interested to hear some of the House Democrats, when they went to the floor last night and told their personal stories of what it was like, what they experienced uh, during those harrowing, you know, four hours. Dean Phillips, uh, the Democrat from Minnesota, took to the floor and he was in the chamber talking about his experience of, of living and surviving the attack on, on the Capitol and, and the folks who were trying to break into the House chamber. And he said that during that time, he told his Democratic colleagues, let's go over to the Republican side of the aisle and blend, try to blend in Whoa. with the Republicans and they won't attack us. And he said he quickly realized that as he turned to his Democratic colleagues, you know, many are black and brown and other minorities that he as a white man could blend in, but maybe some of his Democratic colleagues would not have that luxury of blending in. And he broke down in tears and, and uh, said he Whoa. apologized to his colleagues uh, that that was a, a, a moment in his life where he recognized the privilege that he had, uh, you know, as a white male. And uh, it was a powerful statement. I, I recommend everyone go check mm. it out. Wow. What a powerful story indeed. Um, so my favorite story of the week is about the pillow fight. I'm sure some of you know uh, <laughs> that, of course, uh, Donald Trump's kind of number one supporter right now is the uh, founder of My Pillow, uh, Mike Lindell, who has all been all over television, not just selling his pillows, but of course, defending Donald Trump. He was a frequent guest at the White House in the last days of the Trump administration. Uh, well, now it's it looks like he's going to have competition. Uh, from someone who's been also in the news the last few weeks, David Hogue, the young uh, survivor of the Parkland shooting, who's now a student at Harvard, um, is uh, founding his own pillow company with the help of a wealthy uh, entre tech entrepreneur, William Legate. Uh, and they've formed a, a new pillow company. So you can either buy your left wing pillows or your right wing pillows. You will have a choice now. Um, uh, God bless America. And uh, to his credit, Mike Lindell said, uh, this is great. Uh, we welcome the competition and uh, the more the merrier. But uh, I, I love the fact uh, that uh, there's going to be the, now this national pillow fight. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't choose your weapon. Choose your pillow. That's what it's going to be. Well, thank you to uh, Scott Wong from The Hill, to Alex Seiswald from NBC News, and Pema Levy from 
Mother Jones. Thanks for uh, being on the panel today. And thank you all for listening. It's great to have you with us. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with our next podcast, and we'll be talking. That's the first day of the Senate trial. We'll be talking with Congressman Tim Ryan, who may, who just may have something to say about a United States Senate race coming up in the state of Ohio. Uh, and meanwhile, don't forget, please check out that website, don'tfencethecapital.com, don'tfencethecapital.com. Sign the petition and keep the United States Capitol free for all Americans to come and visit. That's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. We'll see you next time.